Welcome to The Bridgehead with Stephanie Gray and Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half an hour. Now, last week we went over the, the crisis in masculinity in, in today's culture, especially as it relates to, to abortion and pornography, and I kind of wanted to continue that discussion this week with somebody that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a long time, and that is Nathan Harden. I uh, first heard of him when I read his book, uh, Sex and God at Yale, Porn, Political Correctness, and a Good Education Gone Bad. And basically in this book, he details how he headed off to, to Yale after years of trying to get in. You know, very, very excited about this because he was finally going to this prestigious Ivy League school to engage in all the experiences that make Yale, Yale. But what he found there in, in some ways was profoundly disappointing because as he writes in his book, um, and he kind of, uh, the book is sort of written based around Sex Week at Yale, which is a week that he reveals, you know, sex toy salespeople come in and there's, there was all sorts of uh, really pornographic demonstrations up to and including uh, things like bondage demonstrations in which women were, were physically hurt on purpose. And in his book, he sort of reveals what what goes on on campuses on a deeper level. He talks about the hookup culture, the porn culture, how the porn has led uh, to a rape culture in many ways. And, and carrying on from that, uh, Nathan Harden actually runs a website, The College Fix, where he reports on, on news from across the country and, and what's going on at different universities. So because he, he manages to take his Yale experience and, and kind of by doing broader research into campus culture and how this impacts um, you know the rest of of North America and and the sexual values that are being taught and and the culture of exploitation that has taken place. His book does provide, in many ways, a very handy microcosm to examine a lot of these very serious issues through. So I, I managed to get a hold of of Nathan Harden today, and and we had we had a great conversation about what's going on on campuses and how this impacts the rest of the culture. So I, I hope you enjoy this this interview with author and journalist Nathan Harden, who. Can be found at nathanharden.com. There's been a lot of discussion uh, in Canada lately, uh, as I'm sure you may have noticed, because uh, there is in the States as well, about uh, things like rape culture. And one of the things I noticed when I was reading your book, um, Sex and God at Yale, is that you talk about um, the idea of rape culture maybe perhaps not being what people think it is, but certainly being related to a very pervasive porn culture on campus, and that, that porn culture including a lot of, well, celebration of abuse. That's right. Well, yeah, I think that when people use the word pornography, we're not always talking about the same things. And to some degree, there's a generational gap. So, you know, people who maybe grew up uh, in the era prior to the Internet, they're thinking about, you know, sort of uh, what you might find in a Playboy magazine or, you know, sort of cheesy uh, sex scenes with a pizza delivery boy and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But what we're finding, you know, in the modern era, in the Internet era, is that things have have been pushed to an extreme so that, uh, you know, you find all kinds of sexual violence uh, being glamorized in the porn that that, uh, young people are finding online uh, these days. Well, and you went to, you know, one of the top Ivy League schools in the country, uh, you know, one with a very prestigious academic history. Um, you went to Yale. 
Now, tell our listeners a bit about what your experience was at Yale. Because reading reading the book, you kind of get this contrast between you know all the amazing speakers you got to hear and and all the amazing opportunities you had, combined with this you know very explicit tawdriness spilling over into uh, exactly what you just said. This sort of of culture of, of pornography, but the pornography that you're talking about is is really uh, really can't claim to call itself art, even if it would like to. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know. Pivoting off, uh, you know, off that the first question in which we're talking about, you know, this sort of divide between uh, the pre-internet era and the post-internet era, and what pornography has come to to look like, and how it's gotten more and more extreme. I saw a lot of that uh, actually, believe it or not, in the classroom. Even going to a very prestigious university that had, uh, you know, many, many, as you might imagine admirable qualities, lots of incredible intellectual opportunities, but contrast that with some of the the mainstreaming of porn even into the classroom setting. A lot of that happened in a sort of infamous event uh, known as Yale Sex Week, which really could have been called Porn Week. Uh, it was actually, they invited a lot of people from the porn industry, uh, whether they were actors or executives or producers, uh, manufacturers of sex toys, really just kind of the most, uh, you know, things that were there for shock value. And they really just handed over the classroom to these people and presented them as if they were the experts on human sexuality that should be, you know, sort of lecturing in this uh, classroom environment. So some of the same classrooms where I would study, you know, history or, uh, you know, philosophy or uh, some of the great ideas of human civilization, you'd have this incredible contrast of really the most tawdry, obscene, and juvenile kind of treatment of sexuality. It was almost like it had been turned over to a bunch of, uh, you know, 13-year-old kids instead of, uh, you know, the sort of elite intellectual uh, uh, kind of discourse that you would expect in that place. Right. What I found uh, interesting as well is that, you know, Hannah Rosen of Slate Magazine, um, she wrote quite a a vicious review of your book. But what's interesting, I found, is that I read her book, uh, The End of Men and the Rise of Women. Uh And in her analysis of hookup cultures, it comes out very supportive of hookup culture on campuses. But even she admits uh, directly in her book that when she asked one very experienced university student, you know, what do you want to try most? That girl said, I'd like to be asked on a date. So mm-hmm. even though she claimed to be supportive of hookup culture and and a little bit, you know, it turned up her elitist nose a little bit at your analysis of it, it seems like she came to the same conclusion, just wouldn't say out loud what that conclusion was. What was this, what yes. your analysis of hookup culture on campus? Well, this is sort of the dirty little secret of modern uh, radical feminism, that in one sense... Uh, Feminists rightly uh, sound the alarms uh, against, you know, this what's being called rape culture or the, the culture of uh, maybe sexual violence as it's portrayed in porn, where things like, you know, women are continually insulted verbally or physically harmed in the in the course of uh, making this pornography that's, you know, really glamorizing violence toward women. So on one hand, you have feminists saying, "Hey, this is this is not what we envisioned when we uh, think about the women's movement or women's empowerment." On the other hand, 
radical liberal feminist like Hannah Rosen and, and many of her similar beliefs are so committed to the principle of sexual liberation and absolutely, you know, taking uh, all of what they would think of as traditional sexual morals and throwing them out the window that uh, they really found themselves in a place of supreme conflict. Because on one hand, they're committed to many of them saying that, well, things like, you know, casual sexual hookups, pornography, these are all things that they support. In part, you can you can tie it into their rhetoric of choice. You know, this is all about the biggest buzzword of all in feminism. It's all, you know, what we ch- what I choose to do with my body is sacred, right. and no one has the right to violate that. So, if if someone willingly chooses to act in a porn film, to allow themselves to be degraded and humiliated on screen, feminists really don't have a framework under which they can say, "Hey, this is wrong." because they're so committed to that idea of choice. They don't have a objective moral standard that they can apply. Right. On the other hand, I think they look at the sexual culture that we have. It's clear in poll after poll, statistically, that young women are disproportionately unhappy with the hookup culture that's going on in colleges. Right. Well, so I know, I the the results of feminism have turned out to be very unhappy for modern women. But even in Time Magazine recently, they published an article called The Hookup Culture Hurts Men Too. And what I found indicative about that title is that even though no one's admitted it, they're implicitly admitting just in the very title that it's obvious that the hookup culture hurts women. Just based yeah. on the way women are emotionally attach to their sexual partners. And what, I was going to ask what you think, because you got quite close to this thesis in your book. And one of the things that I have speculated on is the fact that I don't think that you know, those who support the idea of, of quote-unquote sexual liberation or the sexual revolution, one of the reasons they can't critique even behaviors they find extraordinarily distasteful or even damaging is because if we can apply a moral judgment to one action, then what's stopping us from applying moral judgments to other actions? What do you, what do you think of that in, in the context of your experiences? Yes, well, you know, we've come a long way, haven't we? I mean, thinking just of uh, of, uh, of Yale, which started out as a, as a uh, you know, basically a, a Christian seminary and then sort of developed into, you know, a place that educates the uh, secular elite. Um, along that 200-year that journey, we've shed a lot of what were our standards that, that were... Uh, faith-based, religious standards of morality, and then they become kind of traditional, you know, kind of maybe conventions of morality. And now we've, we've really entered in on a time where I think many people don't understand where their moral instincts come from. So there's a profound discomfort maybe with the state of affairs, like you said, for young men as much as young women, and looking at the landscape of you know, rampant, violent pornography, casual sex, People sense that things aren't quite right, but maybe they can't articulate why. And so they're left grappling with, on one hand, a real commitment to you know, moral relativism. Hey, whatever feels good for you, you know, that's good for you. I'm not going to impose my moral beliefs on you. Yet, they're confronted with a culture that seems to exploit people, it seems to be about using people, 
there's not a lot of room for love and commitment and some of the higher virtues of relationship between the sexes mm-hmm. uh, in this landscape. And I, I think that's what people very empty. And that's what made me curious is because when I read, for example, people like Hannah Rosen's analysis of your book, I sensed, I sensed a very acute defensiveness. What was sort of the reaction of people to your book? I know conservatives uh, very much liked it insofar as that even if they weren't aware how bad it was, uh, they were quite willing to accept your premises. But how did uh, you know reviewers at large uh, take your book when you first put it out? Well, it's funny, you know, some of the most vocal critics were my former uh, feminist classmates. Mm. <laughs> uh, and really, I didn't write the book from a standpoint of, hey, here's my, you know, set of Christian conservative beliefs that I think you need to adhere to. I really started my critique from the standpoint of moral values that even, you know, liberals or liberal feminists say that they accept. So, right. you know, from just a standpoint of women's rights and dignity of women, to take one example, how can we take a look, a critical look at the culture, the hookup culture, or the sort of mainstreaming of hardcore pornography, which are two things that I think have, have profoundly shaped the way that young people will grow up living and loving and relating to one another. How can we take those things from the assumptions that a liberal feminist herself might uh, espouse and say, hey, we have a problem even from this limited set of commitments, which are, hey, we're, you know, we believe in equality for women. We believe in, you know, people should be treated with basic human dignity. And when you look at the reality of what's going on in hardcore pornography, for instance, and the kind of things that we were shown, things so graphic that you just can't imagine them unless you've seen it or been taught this stuff mm-hmm. in person. I'm talking about brutality, you know, glamorized uh, and, and put out for, for consumption for the pleasure of someone else. You can't look at that and say that that is uh, in keeping with a commitment to basic human dignity or the respect for women. So, you know, that's where I started from. But unfortunately, many feminists didn't appreciate me arguing against their own positions, uh, you know, using the language of women's rights. I think I particularly provoked them to lash out at me because they, they pointed out some profound inconsistencies in modern feminism itself. And that is, you know, you, you stand up and defend one's right to engage in porn or display it for others, but you do that under the, the rhetoric of choice right. you know, as, as, a, as, a high moral, as a high moral standard. Yet when you look at the, the, the actual reality of what that leads to, it, act, it does the very opposite of what feminism is supposed to do or claims to do. Uh, it, it degrades women. It degrades all of us who, who are affected by it. And you know, that's the thing. Pornography affects all of us these days, whether we're, right. whether we're, I mean, I just read an article this morning that says Christian men, as many as a third of them uh, who were polled in a recent poll by the Barna Group, uh, are using porn on a weekly basis. Uh, and, I mean, I found that, and I think it was even higher if they said on a monthly basis, it was a yeah. majority. Just and over 50% of Christian you know, pastors. Who think, uh, don't largely accept porn as a good thing, but they're still... You know, they're addicted, 
you're encountering it on the online every day. So we live in a really highly pornified culture, and it's really going to impact our our next generation in ways that we haven't even yet, you know, yet we haven't even seen all of the consequences. Well, let's talk briefly about this idea of human dignity, because it's it's an interesting one, and, and human dignity was something everyone used to talk about, but no one does anymore, because no one knows what it means anymore. Um, what I've sort of discovered by, you know, if you read the articles put out by the radical feminists and by people on the left, it seems like they believe the height of human achievement is orgasm, not dignity. <laughs> And that's why they can accept all these very inherently degrading practices uh, that everyone would have would have agreed a very short time ago that, yes, this is degrading, this is humiliating, but because we've lost sight of what the idea of human dignity is in the first place, we, we can accept all of these things now. Uh, how did your experiences at Yale relate to that? Well, there's a real disconnect, right, because you're in an environment at a place like Yale where, you know, all of these this sort of greatest ideas and philosophical uh, uh, ideas are supposed to be discussed, the, the greatest human achievements in the arts and the sciences. You know, everything that, uh, that you would associate with, you know, human dignity, at least from a humanistic standpoint, man's highest achievement. Yet you find that when those are the only, uh, you know, source of, of, uh, of dignity, it, it it doesn't lead to a very dignified human existence. You know, so you end, you end up grappling for something else, I think, when you're saying, well, what is human dignity? Where does it come from? Why does it matter that I, in the bedroom or in the, uh, you know, in what I, whether I choose to view degrading pornography or not, why does that matter just from a standpoint of human dignity? Forget the, uh, you know, religious morals or whatever else you might have Just think about it. And I think you have to answer that question, really, that your dignity has to come from somewhere. And, and uh, you know, I argue that, uh, you know, I think human dignity comes because we are created by God. Right. We, are, we are created beings that, uh, that have the nature that elevates us above animals. And that's why it matters when a human being is, is degraded. It matters when someone is treated brutally for the pleasure of someone else. And if we can't agree that that people are deserving of of respect at that basic level, we don't have much of a moral uh, basis, you know, uh, that, that we can that we can even have a conversation on. I think, and so you end up with a lot of uncertainty on the part of the left about, you know, what the highest uh, goods and moral aims of, uh, ought to be. You help run a sort of a, a bit of a news site tracking these types of things on campuses called the College Fix. From your perspective, uh, how is how is the situation on campuses right now? Well, campuses are the training ground for you know, in, in a way, it's a microcosm. It's a way to it's a way to look into the future. Um, you know, this is the the political leaders, the business leaders, the cultural leaders of tomorrow, or they're being trained there today. So. It, People, I think, understand the importance of what's being taught on college campuses. What they maybe don't understand the importance of is how much the culture of college is important. And that's where you get into these issues like, say, your local university hosts a week on, you know, a sex week that's full of events on and topics on this topic. And you think, well, that's really an extracurricular thing. It doesn't matter as much as what's, you know, the ideology is that the professors are 
are handing out. But really, the, the moral training of students happens in that cultural context. So when you have, for instance, a culture that really promotes sexual promiscuity, rampant use of porn, really loveless sexuality, and really divorcing love from sex, and that's, that's what I would say uh, you find at most college campuses these days. That's really shaping a lot of uh, political views that these students are going to have. It shapes their moral views. I worry about the ability of many young people today to develop long-lasting, healthy marriages because that divorce of sex and love is so profound. You know, there's always been, you know, Sex is not a new thing. It didn't happen uh, when the Internet was invented. But there is a change in, in that 40, 50 years ago, you were at least expected to like go out on a few dates. <laughs> right. And now I think people don't understand that there's a, there's a shift that's happened where really casual, you know, sex comes first and then the possibility of a relationship, you know, it sort of lingers out there. And that's really what, that's what the hookup culture is. It's a reversal of those things. Uh, and that's going to really change. That's going to have some profound social impact, I think, down the road. So how do you propose that people go about trying to change this culture? Because I know a lot of people hear everything. I write a lot about pornography and hookup culture as well. And the general reaction I get is, is people are very depressed immediately. Like, this problem is so pervasive. You know, how do we fight back in the face of such overwhelming statistics? And what would you say to people? Well, you know, it it starts... With yourself, of course, you know, we, we live in an age where it's very difficult to escape pornography. So you have to, uh, you have to take steps to make sure that, hey, if, if this is something that I, I feel is wrong or either my religious beliefs, uh, you know, lead me to understand it's wrong or I just feel like it's disrespectful or dehumanizing or unhealthy in those ways, you have to start by, you know, setting those boundaries in your own life. And then I think it's important to, to create supportive groups of friends and community where you can start to, to really form an alternative culture. You know, in college, it might be, you know, a religious group. It might be, you know, a, a group uh, centered around political ideas or, you know, some other hobby. But those kind of subcultures are extremely important to maintaining your set of beliefs when you're in the minority. And if you go and say in college and you're trying to live, you know, with sexual purity, you're trying to stay away from the hookup culture, you're going to find yourself under a tremendous amount of pressure to conform unless you can find like-minded people who want to live differently, who, who want to stand up for human dignity. Or, hey, they, maybe they're just people who, you know, think, you know, I'd like to experience uh, dating or a real relationship mm-hmm. that aren't simply based on sex alone. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. The people who, who get through college or get successfully, they find those uh, groups of supportive friends who are like-minded and can really create that counterculture. You can't go it alone. Right. Well, Nathan, this has been uh, quite a fantastic conversation. I'm really glad you took the time to, time out to, to talk to me about this. Well, thanks for having me on your program, guys.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was author and journalist Nathan Harden, the author of Sex and God at Yale, Porn, Political Correctness, and a Good Education Gone Bad. We hope you uh, enjoy this information. We hope it proved as enlightening uh, to you as it, as it was to me. And I, I hope uh, you'll all join us again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>